Hello and welcome to the first episode of 2024 of the Ticker Podcast with me, Noemi Di Stefano. This month we're going to talk everything careers, but first, uh, before we jump into our fast enlightening conversation of the month, I want to take a moment to wish all of our fantastic listeners a belated happy new year. We hope your year is off to an incredible start and is filled with new opportunities, growth and of course success. Now let's dive into this episode where we will explore strategies to boost your IR salaries and navigate the evolving landscape of investor relations. Coming up first, I speak to Oscar Yazer, managing partner at the London-based firm Broom Yazar, a global IR headhunter. We look at trends influencing IR salaries, skills, qualifications and key drivers of compensation in IR. We also speak to Smooch Repovich Rosenberg, founder and CEO of the global executive search firm Smooch Unplugged, to get a similar perspective on the matter and also look at how the role of IR can adapt to serve a more globally dispersed investor base, which is a byproduct of increasingly interconnected markets. Last but not least, we also hear from Jill Chapman, Senior Vice President, Head of Investor Relations and Corporate Development at Hilton. Uh, the firm picked up four prizes at the IR Magazine uh, US Awards last year, and one of them was for Best IR Officer Large Cup. Chapman talks about the firm's winning IR approach, how to assess your IR success and discusses post-pandemic shifts and future trends. All of this is coming up now on the Ticker Podcast, so without further ado, let's dive straight into my interview with Oscar Yazer. So Oscar Yazer, thank you so much for joining us on the Ticker Podcast. My pleasure, it's an absolute delight to be here with you all. Likewise. So just to start with, uh, I just wanted to tell our listeners while we're having this conversation with you, I'm really excited and looking forward to it. So we we did a LinkedIn poll a couple of months ago and we asked our listeners to tell us what they wanted us to discuss in the next podcast episode. And lots of people were interested in learning more about how they can boost their IR salaries and uh, progress in their career. And so I thought you know, who better than you could shed light on this. So just for, for the listeners who maybe haven't heard about your firm, uh, Broom Yazar, tell us who you are and what you I'm, do. I'm very happy to be here and thank you for giving me the opportunity. It's uh, no, Broom Yazar partnership regarded as the global leading IR headhunter and we've helped to appoint more than 530 directors of investor relations globally and not just in the UK but it's very much in the US and, and across, across the globe. And we're passionate about the world of investorations. I hope that's going to come across over the next next few minutes. But also, I think there's we're very good at highlighting the significant transformation in the world of investorations. I'm very happy to to go into as much detail as you, as you want me to. Yeah, sure. So I wanted to look a little bit at the transformation where the profession is at at the moment. And I mean, just to start with, then. So how, if you were to just like highlight a few things that um, can you know, describe how the profession has evolved over the past few years and uh, what do you think are 
the maybe like top three or top five factors contributing to that evolution? Yeah, I mean, it's what's really fascinating about our world is how much it's been transformed in the space of five to 10 years. I've been in this role now for nearly 20 years and prior to that was in IR advisory. So I've personally seen a significant transformation in the world of investor relations. And this is down, I think, to three parts. Firstly, it's the realization from senior management now of the importance of reputation in investor relations. Um, gone are the days that IR was a box ticking exercise, very much a glorified bag carry role. IR now sits front and center of a company's strategy. What well, it does in a lot of organizations, I don't want to generalize. So the realisation from senior management of its importance has really been a critical transformation, coupled with also the fact that IR has now attracted a far more sophisticated and ambitious and forward-thinking candidate coming, coming through. And that's really reflected in not just the positioning of IR, but also salaries. So coming back to your question about salaries, and we've seen a significant rise in compensation of IROs, the positioning of investor relations, the visibility of investor relations. So, and it's all of the data. We don't make this stuff up. We, we, we've, uh, we've interviewed more than 3,500 candidates over the past um, 20 years. So we, we've seen the data increase significantly. And it's actually increased even more um, pre, during, and post-COVID as well. Because of the fact, I think, that boards are now having to take IR reputation much, much more seriously. Because I think... And I don't want to generalise, but many, many more CEOs and CFOs and chairmen now realise that their, their careers are dependent on how they communicate to their financial stakeholders. And that's been a fantastic trend, I think. And, I mean, obviously, we have assessed that there has been a change in the past decades to five years because of that increased recognition. Um, but going forward, uh, I mean, with all the new trends that there are, AI being one or so many technological developments, what, what do you foresee being the you know, top contributing factors to a further increase in the future to those salaries? I think I was asked this question um, in um, in Zurich uh, earlier this week at the IR Association, IR Club Conference. And uh, what's what's been interesting is there is can be what we call an existentialist threat to the world of IR because of the, the emerging AI technology, as well as from activist shareholders. A number of organisations now have a number of activist shareholders who are changing the, the, the climate internally. So this is a trend that um, that senior management are now having to grasp and take more seriously, which is why they need to bring in what much more sophisticated, much more credible IRO who's going to oversee that. So yes, there are significant trends in the market, but I think we, I think we, as an industry, we're chameleon-like. We've, we've we've adapted and we've changed and we've we can see the threats and the opportunities and we've adapted and made made our profession even even more stronger than it has been. And so the, so the, the threats are significant. But the final point is the um, the trend is that salaries are increasing, and visibility at the board level is increasing. The reason I know that is the number of IROs um, and we've published published this in several of our papers number of IROs who are taking on other responsibilities, they're taking on corporate developments or M&A in many, many cases, and again, this is something we've got um, highlighted now on our insights page, is this convergence between IR and corporate affairs. How many IROs 
are taking ownership of corporate affairs. That's never really happened before. And that's, an, that's really exciting. I just had the questions on, you know, qualifications needed, maybe for those newcomers as well, who maybe are just fresh from uni, had, you know, a course, a background in economics. They did some IR, but maybe they're looking to, you know, they have a certain um, salary and they want to improve it. What qualifications do you think are needed? What are most common in the industry and what which ones do you think will become a must uh, going forward? Well, I don't think there's anything such as a must qualification because it's fascinating how every single brief we have, they have different um, um, different aspirations for the role. And But what's happened in recent years is there's now a, a need for candidates to have far more financial um, qualifications. So maybe half my roles, uh, they require either a CFA, an ACA, or another financial qualification, the SEMA, etc. In some cases, even the MBA. I had one client recently that really wants an MBA because they, the client thinks that this role can morph into another role. But that's not to say that every role, you need to have an ACA, CFA. Um, the other qualification, which I encourage a lot of my up-and-coming IROs to look at, seriously look at, are the certificates in IR and the diplomas that, the, for instance, the UK IR Society has and many of the IR Societies are now copying. And these... Diplomas and certificates are really critical in, in taking your personal brand from A to, to Z in, in one foul swoop because of the, the recognition of the importance of having that qualification. So that's definitely a qualification. I think everyone at a certain level should be, should be looking at. So definitely um, the certificate, not even the diplomas in West Relations. Okay. And once you've got uh, you've got that qualification, you are into your first IR role, you're, you've been with your firm for a couple of years, to just take it one step further, how do you think they can keep, you know, progressing, maybe without having to hop between one firm and another, which is usually what people do it, I think, in any industry to get a massive boost to their salary. Do you think that the factors that maybe influence that progression more are like experience, is it another certification, it is like technological knowledge? What do you think? Three things. I think it's a combination of lots of things. Firstly, qualifications are important. I don't think you can get a job in IR if you don't have a, have a, yeah. have a BA or BSE or, or even, even a master's degree. So that, that's the core. Um, secondly, yes, you do need to have financial awareness and the qualifications. You do need to be able to read the balance sheet. That's, that's definitely a sort of qualification. But thirdly, I think what's really important is having the credibility and the confidence of knowing what your personal brand is. And we spend a lot of time with our senior candidates on their own personal brand awareness. If you don't know what it is you're bringing to the table, how is the person on the other side of the table going to buy that product? And we are all commodities. We're bought and sold. I mean, it sounds it sounds ridiculous, but that's that's the, the, the crux of the situation. And this happens all the time, actually. So when, when candidates who sit here in our in, in my what I call my consultancy room here, and they, they, they've been doing IR for five, six, ten years. And they say, I want to do something else. And I firstly say to them, well, there are other things you can do. I mean, read our studies from IR to business leadership that showcases how, as an RO, you can morph into other roles. And really understand that you can take on other responsibilities. But unless you have what I call the, the, the gravitas and the credibility to force your way into that discussion by saying, I want to... Mr. CEO, Mrs. CEO, or Mr. or Mrs. CFO, I want to have another broader role. If you don't have the confidence said that, then nothing's ever going to be given to you. So it's about having 
confidence, but as well as a lot of the, the qualifications. The qualifications, knowledge. I mean, this point that you mentioned about, you know, wanting to progress to another role is something really interesting. I I was having a conversation with the head of IR at a um, very big um, mega cap company in the US not long ago. And we were talking about, you know, seeing IR, some people see IR as a stepping stone to start with. And I think I really want to get your view on this because a lot of people do see it as a stepping stone. So what do you think? What is your view? on this is it a stepping stone have you also i wanted to ask you if you've seen people getting into ir moving into a higher role and then going back to it to ir yeah no i think three things i mean firstly ir the positioning and the credibility of the role of ir has has changed dramatically that's definitely you can see it in a lot of organizations in that um you have iros that, that are now broadened out into much bigger roles that sit right next to the CEO into the CFO's office, which is really exciting. That's never really happened before, where the C, where the IRO is deemed to be a really important player in, in the organisation. So therefore, IR is a stepping stone. And we published um, one of our studies from IR into business leadership that showcased how many examples of former IROs have become CFOs, heads of strategy, heads of development, heads of MA, in some cases even CEO of this organization. Now, that's never really happened before. So, yes, IR is, can be a stepping stone. But that's also, I, I don't think, I don't want to upset or annoy IROs that want to be in IR for the rest oh, of their yeah. careers. That's really exciting. I, uh, I, um, one of my speeches uh, recently, uh, someone came up to me and said, oh, but I want to, I don't want to be a CFO, I want to be a, a career IRO. And I said, I said, that's brilliant because that means that you're focused and dedicated to, to our world. And it is a really exciting world. So, yes, IR is now a stepping stone. But there's nothing wrong with staying in IR and making the most of the role. Because yeah. it, is, it is an incredibly exciting. I can't, I can't see the role getting boring, to be honest, with all <laughs> the challenges that there are out there and the new things out there. So it's, it's, it seems to me to be like a pretty thrilling job. I also, I think I said once to one of my interviewees, if I could go back 10 years, I'll probably, you know, and I knew about it. I would just like, because I didn't, you know. I mean, I think our listeners know I'm quite new into into this world. And um, yeah. Yeah. No, but you seem to know a lot, a lot about IR, which is great to see. But I, I, Fully matched. Yeah, no, but what's really, it's a really good point, actually, because I, I got a brief last week from a really exciting organisation. Uh, the role is really broad, really, really exciting. And I, I have been in IR for 20 years, and I thought, ah, oh, this is a really exciting role. I, 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 even I was thinking about moving in because yeah. of the, 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 the job description, which we or the job profile which we put together was really exciting. It showcased the fact that senior management was taking IR much, much more seriously. And that's where we've come, I think, as an industry. But what's really um, the other interesting trend, going back to the question about trends, is how many people are jump keen to become an IRO. Yeah. I get scores of CVs from investment bankers, from research analysts, from management consultants that now see IR as a really exciting yeah. career proposition. Five, ten years ago, that would never really happen. And that's now happening more and more. Yeah, that is interesting. Even though I think there are some, for example, I was having um, a conversation with the IR Association in Bulgaria um, a couple of weeks ago, and they said that they just started a course um, for um, junior um, professionals who are interested because literally they don't ha- they don't have enough IROs in the country um, for for the number of public listed companies. But I mean, obviously, um, Bulgaria is. 
is is a, a small country, is a smaller capital market compared to others. Um, but it's interesting that you say that, and uh, that there are more people interested in coming into the profession. Um, but, but can I interrupt you as well? Yeah, sure. No. But actually, that's a really good point. But if you think of Middle East, where um, in recent years there's been this complete transformation of the world of IR, and also regulations in, in certain countries, you, you, every listed company has to have an IRO in place. Yeah. Now, that regulation isn't, you don't have to have a, an IRO in place in the UK or France or Germany, but in the Middle East, in certain territories, you have to have an IRO in place, yeah. which means that every company has an, needs an IRO, but the, the, the pool of credible candidates is much, much, much yeah. smaller. So yeah. again, that's conversely, and that, I, I think that in the Middle East is no longer an emerging market. It's really front and center of, of where we should be as an industry. Thank you. Um, I just had a question on skill set. We've touched on this. We know the experience is relevant, your certifications, you know, knowing the company, talking to senior management. Um, just wanted to put you on the spot there and ask you, what do you think in 2023, you know, just 20 days into 2024, we are recording this interview before Christmas. Um, what do you think is the one skill that can't ca- cannot not be there for IROs, future IROs, IROs who are looking to progress. It's another great question. Um, two things I think that the, the question can be answered from two areas. Firstly, it's I would love IROs to go into twenty twenty four, the new year, realizing that their role is critical now. It's a really critical role in a lot of organisations, but many IROs again have their heads down focus on their day jobs, very conscientious to their senior management team, but they don't realise what an important function it is. And as soon as you realise what a critical, important function it is, that'll give them confidence to pursue other options internally. The second area, I think it's the market and company-facing issue, and in that there are threats coming from the markets. There are threats from active shareholders. Again, we mentioned AI technology. I mean, AI technology is doubling in size every every hour as, as, as far as we, we can see and just think what's 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 around the corner so it's actually having the the guile and the confidence to actually to, to think what might happen around the corner and actually um, making every senior management team aware of the risk involved as well in any major yeah and that's something that's a lot of IROs um, tend not to see a lot of IROs don't realize that there's also geopolitical risk that's going to affect companies we've had obviously the Ukraine invasion we've had many other market issues that have affected the company's positioning and company success. So maybe taking on board and having the confidence to take on more geopolitical risk understanding, and then that can then be the conduit to convince the senior management team of the further importance of the role. Thank you very much. On that note, we will leave it there. Thank you very much for being with us, Oscar. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Book your places now for essential IR Magazine events this spring. Taking place in London on the 7th of March, we have our AI for IR forum. There, we're going to be sharing practical advice on how IR teams are using AI to unlock value and drive efficiencies in their role right now. And in the US, we start our events this year with the West Coast Think Tank, taking place in Palo Alto on the 20th of March. The Think Tank brings together California's IR community to discuss their priorities and challenges for 2024. And then in Toronto on the 4th of April, we're going to be hosting our Canada IR Forum, followed, of course, by our annual IR Awards, which recognise and celebrate excellence in investor relations across Canada. 
So please, come to an event near you to reconnect with your peers, to share tips on driving shareholder value in the current market. Visit irmagazine.com forward slash events to find out more and book your places now. Smooch Rapovic Rosenberg, welcome to the first episode for 2024 of the Ticker Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for including me, Noemi. Thank you. Um, so I'm sure many of our listeners uh, would already know you. We've done a series of videos with you uh, and about the work that you do with your company. All of that is on our website. But for those who maybe don't know you, you are the founder and the CEO of Moot Unplugged. Um, so to start with, maybe can you just tell us about your company and what you do? Of course. So I work in the retained executive search profession, and our focus uh, at Smooch Unplugged is working with the investor relations profession and corporations to fill their IR positions. And we work, Naomi, with uh, companies that range in size from pre-IPO to the mega caps across all industries. Uh, Primary focus is North America, but we have a lot of clients in Europe. And we also work with companies in Asia uh, that would like to list in the U.S. markets and need uh, investor relations uh, talent here. Okay, that's great. And I mean, my first question was just going to be like, we're starting a new year, looking back to 2023. Uh, what stands uh, for you from last year's recruitment scene? You know, candidly, it was a bit schizophrenic, uh, Noemi. And I think largely... It was due to the uncertainties in many economies around the world, the politics on the Ukraine-Russian war, what now is happening in the Middle East. Um, And I think overall, the financial markets um, had a hard time last year being steady. And that can affect recruiting. I always feel that IR talent, especially at the leadership level, is necessitated more when schizophrenia seems to uh, be the leading sentiment in the markets. Um, But I think companies were very conservative last year and held back a bit to try and get a steadiness uh, about their businesses. Back to the IR profession, obviously you've been in the industry for many years. how has it changed maybe over the past five years or 10 years, Mark, if you prefer um, the, the the profession? How has it changed and what factors do you think are driving these changes? Listen, I think there's terrific news uh, on this topic, Noemi. I mean, the, we've seen a lot of change in the last decade and certainly in the last five years. And I think IR talents being afforded more latitude when it comes to navigating their career directionally and from the standpoint of of the variety of responsibilities that an IRO will oversee. And I'd say that the primary factors driving this change is there's an increased demand on the part of management teams for one, a corporate athlete and someone who brings a continuous improvement headset. And by that, I mean, you know, a corporate athlete I've always defined as someone who has not just the technical competencies to be great in IR, but they have a broad business acumen such that they have the intellectual ability and experience to weigh in on topics across an organization. And this this idea of continuous improvement mindset 
it really is, um, it's an interesting dimension that's come up in the last handful of years from the standpoint of you, you can't make quantum leaps of improvement all the time. But the fact that an executive gets up every day thinking about their company, thinking about the constituencies they deal with, their management teams, the investment markets, um, always calibrating, continuously calibrating, how do they improve what they're doing, even if it's just a small bit? I also think that management teams are demanding superior talent. So part of that, in my mind, for us as a search firm is, how do you really become part of that top 20% of IR talent around the world? And they want superior judgment. So the way one develops superior judgment is to be what I describe as battle-tested, meaning you have been uh, successful in um, uh, markets that are easy as well as those that are not. Um, and someone who can see around corners, meaning anticipate what's coming at the company so they understand the vibe and the beat before it's on the doorstep. Um, I also think that management's recognition of the unpredictability of the financial markets and other societal factors has made a huge uh, impact positively on the IR role in that CEOs and CFOs and boards want a strategic thought partner. Uh, and I think, you know, that's a really important piece for people to remember. Um, you have to go beyond just doing the job. I had, a, I had a CEO say to me the other day, you know, I don't want just data. I want insights. And insights come from the wisdom that you get through your career journey and paying attention, <laughs> right? Be present in the moment. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it totally does. And thank you for uh, for painting that, that picture. Um, it's brilliant. And I mean... Um, you have violated some of the expectations that companies uh, have and some of the qualities that an IRO or an IR prediction in general needs to have. I had the question about salaries. What factors are becoming more influential in that, like, you know, increasing and, and progressing within your organization? You know, it's always an interesting question, Noemi. And I, I get questions uh, from audiences when I do presentations about salaries and compensation. And I think I think your listeners need to re remember that compensation discussion can be both objective and subjective. Okay. So it's a it's an awkward topic. Um, overall, my top line recommendation is focus on doing the best job you possibly can every single day and the rest of it will fall into place, okay? I don't think most executives, most bosses use compensation to punish people. So if you you know, had an average six months because you had a health issue or whatever the case might be, I don't think they use compensation to punish you. But if you really wanna move up uh, in levels of compensation, I think that um, you know, management teams appreciate and they, they're also demanding increased abilities um, in terms of executive strategic thinking and presence. And we just talked a, a moment ago about, you know, be present. And a good example would be, you know, does an IRO understand a CEO's risk appetite? Nowhere in a job description will you read that that's a key criteria. But that goes back to and we'll get into more of this later in the podcast about 
intangible leadership attributes. Yeah, so I think that's an important uh, piece of it. Does the IRO have the ability to pivot in the moment? Are you quick on your feet? And again, these are not qualities that you're going to find listed in a compensation survey that the HR department did, right? This ties to the relationship you have with your CFO and your CEO. And I personally believe that favorable compensation movement is directly correlated, not just to technical competencies. I mean, that's, that's the table stakes and basics of being able to do your job. I think it's how well does an executive partner with the culture and people of the organization. And this goes back to the intangible, the fact that intangible skills matter and they matter today more than ever. And I think it's going to rapidly become the premium attribute for the future. That's great. And I mean, talking about um, skills and, you know, um, the, the profile that they need to build. Um, I just wanted to get your views on, because these are questions that I are, our readers have, which skills, which qualification today hold the most value um, for a successful career, for boosting that earning potential, um, and which ones, you know, maybe have, h- how have things changed? Because maybe there were some, some of them were more important in the past, some of these qualifications, and some will be more important in the future. What are your views? Well, I think it's a great question. And I think the most important couple of uh, qualities or uh, skills are strategic thinking capabilities and organizational influence. Um, I think that, I mean, keen financial acumen is always going to be a prerequisite, Noemi, but I think being able to be an organizational influence is really important. And I think that goes back to the uh, example I just gave you about someone kind of becoming a guru, being respected across an enterprise. And and that takes a unique quality of someone who can be neutral. You know, there's no room for judgment uh, in most senior level roles in a company, but in particular in IR, because you have to have the be viewed as an individual who has the capacity to accept all incoming content, good, bad, or indifferent, and then take and organize it, process it, and provide that strategic consulting viewpoint to your CEO, the CFO, and the board. So I think those are two at the top of the list. I think the least important is the idea that IR can be dialed in solely for an earnings process. Um, That's a sentiment of the past. And it's a complaint that I get from a lot of CEOs and CFOs who ask me to do confidential searches. So they have someone sitting in the top job, but they're just kind of, you know, they phone it in. They're just quarter by quarter. They're doing the minimal amount of work barely changing the words in the news release, except for the financial aspect. They're, they're, ju- they're not contributing in a strategic manner. And I think that is absolutely um, a behavior of the past that's not going to be tolerated uh, in the future. Uh, management teams have become uninterested in what I would describe as a pedestrian function that just lopes along quarter by quarter. 
thank you that's really uh interesting and i mean i had a, a question but i think you you've already answered about you know uh what uh responsibilities and skills will will become more important just moving on then i w- i wanted to ask you a question for those that maybe can the answer which can be useful for those companies that have you know they are dual listed or have a very diverse investor base so with these uh interconnected markets um how should an iro adapt to to serve a very diverse investor base and when it comes also to regulations operating in different jurisdictions how how can they do that Well, listen, I think it's a particularly challenging aspect of the IR role to address because, as you know, most IR functions are very small. So to be able to architect the reach of global investors and the varying uh, regulatory climates, kind of country by country and region by region, really demands that an IRO be resourceful, first of all. Second of all, I think IROs should invest some time to determine for their specific organization, how they can create resources at a minimal cost to their company. So for example, in another region in the world, is there a finance person who might be well-suited to oversee on a part-time basis some of the IR considerations in that region that are specific to that region? Maybe not be a hands-on IR practitioner, but someone who's got the finance acumen, they perhaps have the uh, appetite or interest in maybe getting into IR, but they can learn the regulatory climate and keep the corporate IRO informed. I think that's one area that if I was an IRO based in the U.S., I would look to the global finance organization to kind of be my my, uh, connectedness and partners in all these different regions, because you're right, the regulatory climates are vastly different. And so I think for the IRO, finding those internal resources who already know the company, who can be kind of the eyes and ears would be additive. And I also think that um, if there is uh, a consultant in a region that you could pay uh, for a part-time kind of be my eyes and ears in another region, Um, an IR consultancy of some sort, that that would be another way to stay current because you can't be everywhere all the time. That's great advice. Thank you for that. And um, I mean, just to 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 finish then, uh, new year, uh, new objectives. <laughs> um, I just wanted to ask, what do you think would be a predominant theme uh, in this 2024, whether for the profession, of course, whether that's, AI or other technologies or none of that? What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 it's a great question. We made it 15 minutes into the podcast without touching AI. So. <laughs> well, the AI is a career question that we should do another podcast on because honestly, I mean, I think it's it, there's a lot on the fringes there. So uh, TBD on that. But before I answer the prediction for 24, me, I want to go back to one of your other questions about um, you had asked about as the investment um, landscape evolves. What is my prediction about um, significant shifts in responsibilities and skills? And, and I, I think the IR, pro- I want to make the point that the IR profession, in my opinion, has transcended all 
past expectations of the direction that people thought it would evolve into. And I think, you know, today and for the future IROs have to have the financial acumen, the performance track record, and broad intangible leadership skills so that they can easily aim to become a CFO and later on a CEO of a corporation. Many of the CEOs that I work with have told me that they either willingly or um, were forced to be an IRO at one point in their careers, and they went reluctantly. But as they look you know, in the rearview mirror, they've told me that the single best piece of experience to become a public company CEO was being the head of IR. And, and I'll tell you candidly, I predicted that 25 years ago, that IROs could be CEOs if they chose to. And here we are, we're now at a point where we've arrived at that opportunity. And we've seen a huge number of uh, IROs become CFOs. That is happening at warp speed. And I think it'll con continue. Thank you. And I mean, uh, if you want to crystal ball gaze about 2024, feel uh, feel free. <laughs> I take my crystal ball with me everywhere, Noam. It's actually one of my favorite questions. So, you know, I think the predominant theme for 2024 and even beyond will be a focus on intangible leadership attributes as being the springboard to greater career success uh, for the future. And I think one um, specific tangible skill that I also believe is critical is, is an executive's ability to be flexible and pivot in the moment. Um, the IRO role is that of being a key advisor to management and the board. And you have to be able to think quickly on your feet and pivot. So gone are the days when an IRO could be stuck in this linear track of, but we have to do this in order to do that and have to do that in order to do the next thing. You have to have that flexibility in thinking and ability. And I think that's going to be a continuous theme 2024 and beyond. Perfect. Thank you very much, Smoot, for your insights, for sharing all your expertise with, with our listeners. And I hope to have you back on the on the podcast. Thanks for including me, Noemi. I'm always happy to do these and share my thoughts. And um, I'll look forward to uh, hearing the podcast and following you in 2024. Book your places now for essential IR Magazine events this spring. Taking place in London on the 7th of March, we have our AI for IR forum. There, we're going to be sharing practical advice on how IR teams are using AI to unlock value and drive efficiencies in their role right now. And in the US, we start our events this year with the West Coast Think Tank, taking place in Palo Alto on the 20th of March. The Think Tank brings together California's IR community to discuss their priorities and challenges for 2024. And then in Toronto on the 4th of April, we're going to be hosting our Canada IR Forum, followed, of course, by our annual IR Awards, which recognise and celebrate excellence in investor relations across Canada. So please come to an event near you to reconnect with your peers, to share tips on driving shareholder value in the current market. Visit irmagazine.com forward slash events to find out more and book your places now.
So we've got Jill Chapman, Senior Vice President of Investor Relations and Corporate Development at Hilton with us here on this episode of the Ticker Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I'm very interested to talk to you. I mean, you had a you, you did very well at our IR Magazine Awards in the US last year. You've got a number of trophies in the background uh, for people listening. They're looking very shiny up there. And so I'm, I'm very interested to hear. I mean, you, you won um, some of the most coveted awards on the night. You won Best Overall Investor Relations, Best Investor Relations Officer in your market cap. What do you think it is that the investment community appreciates about your approach to IR? I think a lot of it is really having an investor mindset. So I came from the sell side, which I think helped prepare me for just better understanding how to communicate with investors with the sell side, um, but also what information is helpful for them. So I think that's a big piece of it. The more that you can prepare yourself in advance for what those questions are, I think the more helpful for the street. I think also being proactive, being accessible, and I think an effective feedback loop. So um, so certainly, I mean, we're telling our narrative and the overall goal is to deliver your message to the street, but I also think it's important to listen, um, to really gauge investor sentiment and all of those investor meetings that you have, use that as an opportunity to not only listen to the questions that they're asking, but also ask their opinion on things see how the story is resonating, you know, what's going on in the landscape, how do they feel about things, and then bringing that back to our management team. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's an opportunity to, you know, reevaluate strategy, reevaluate narrative, um, but I think it is a good, it is a good check. Um, and certainly there are times where, you know, I'm, I'm saying something that I think is coming across perfectly clear, and maybe that's not the case. So I think using that opportunity opportunity to really see what they are hearing um, and potentially revamping how you're saying things, I think is really helpful. Um, I also I also use the street a lot to help with making conference calls more effective. We have an investor day coming up in March of this year. So uh, making sure that we're using that time effectively and that it winds up being very productive for the audience. So I do think that they appreciate that feedback loop and, and really feeling more like partners as opposed to that I show up to meetings and I'm just delivering a message I want them to understand and moving along. So I think it's it's a very fluid conversation, which I think is particularly helpful and, and valuable for them as well as for for myself and, and my executive management team. That feedback where you where you bring the views of the street to management, is that something that you do in a in a formal process? Is it something that you do more conversationally in an in a kind of ad hoc way? It's in more of an ad hoc way. I think it really depends on what's going on um, and when what I'm hearing. Um, there are certainly times to bring that into a more formal review process. So, for instance, before we release earnings, as we're prepping for earnings. Um, so I think that there's definitely a piece that always gets injected in those more formal processes. But on a regular basis, it's much more ad hoc, just sort of conversationally um, with my CEO and CFO. Right. I, I wanted to ask about assessing the effectiveness of your IR program. Obviously, winning awards is a great sort of stamp of approval for what you're doing. Um, what other KPIs do you use um, 
kind of internally to to assess whether or not what you're doing is is delivering the results that you want? Yeah, it's such a great question. And and I'll be honest, it's something that I very much struggle with. It's funny, when I came back from maternity leave, uh, so I was out for 12 weeks, came back, and I even had some of our board members saying, hey, the stock's up, you know, this percent uh, since you came back versus this percent while you were out. And as much as you want to take a victory lap, it's not about that. And, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, suggest using the stock price as any sort of measure of, of success. Uh, although it's very, very hard not to when, when you're doing well. But I always say, hey, it's a team effort. And when, when the story is resonating and we have a favorable macro backdrop um, and you know, our strategy is really being rewarded, um, it's obviously great to see that reflected in the stock price. So I think it's interesting that um, it's one of the only jobs where there's something tangible that you can look at every single day and the inclination being, hey, you're, you're doing well or not because of that. Similarly, with the awards, it's such an honor to win those. And, and we certainly do use that as validation for the success of our program. Um, I think the awards in particular are helpful, uh, not only for that piece, but also to demonstrate to the broader team, so our broader internal team, they don't get to talk to investors. They don't get to attend these conferences and get that feedback real time. Um, they sort of help put together uh, numbers. They help put together messaging. We have a very, very collaborative dynamic. Um, but then uh, myself and my team were the ones on the front line. So they're sort of out of the process at that point. So I think the IR awards in particular are helpful for them to share in the success of the overall program um, and really to boost morale. What I always recommend and what I do when I'm uh, speaking with my CFO on objectives for the upcoming year or evaluating success for the prior year I think they're more intangibles and I'm sort of fluid in, in how I think about it. So um, it'll be, hey, you know, um, like work towards further diversifying our shareholder base or um, develop an initiative that helps um, try to accomplish this goal. The reason being that um, it doesn't always work with timeframes that something is going to um, be measurable in a short period of time. And a year, while it can feel long on certain days, is a very short period of time when you're implementing a certain strategy. Um, so I think awards are definitely something that everyone should strive towards. I wouldn't necessarily go as far as to put that in your objectives, like I'm going to win this um, or I'm going to be nominated for that. I think it can just kind of box you in. Uh, and some of it can depend on what's going on in the macro environment. I mean, certainly, uh, COVID was was a challenging time to be IR for a hospitality company. There were a lot of learnings, uh, and and I think a lot of good things actually came out of that with respect to how we operate, um, enhancing our loyalty program. Um, but you know, I mean, there were certainly dark days, so you never know sort of what's around the corner, and so it was shy away from putting very strict tangibles when mm -hmm. it comes to IR because uh, a measure of success just feels a, a little bit. Uh, less tangible uh, in a short time frame like a year.
Did things like the the pandemic, the global volatility that came afterwards, kind of cost, cost of living, have, have those things changed your approach to, to to the IR program at all? I think it really, I think it magnified the importance of IR and and the importance of really having those close communications with the street as well as with executive management. Um, So I definitely think it was an opportunity to reevaluate how we operate, what's important and what's not important. Um, So I think coming out of it for us, it it definitely forced me, or at least I took the opportunity to evaluate how we use our time. Um, it was interesting, uh, just a trend in general. People said, oh, in-person meetings aren't coming back and working for a hotel company. I thought, no, 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 that's not true. In-person meetings are definitely coming back. They're very, very, very important. And and certainly personal and professional biases aside, I think that that face-to-face interaction and those personal connections are irreplaceable. And I think it took a little bit of time for that to play out. Um, but I do think we're back. And certainly from a demand perspective, uh, if we're looking at our levels across segments versus 2019, um, does suggest that there sort of is no is no permanent impairment. So I'm glad that that we got that right. Um, but I do think that uh, in terms of the importance of that communication, being proactive, um, being accessible, I really think it highlighted the basics. And I think in terms of you know, maybe maybe reevaluating your goals um, and and what makes sense um, from maybe a more targeted marketing perspective. Um, what investors appreciate, what maybe you don't have to spend your time doing. Um, so I think it was a lot about sort of reevaluating the structure of the program and really making the most use of your time, investors' time, management's time um, to still be as efficient and as effective as possible, um, but doing it in a smarter way. I've been asking people recently on on the topic of virtual meetings and in-person meetings. Um, I mean, what's what's the kind of split for you at the moment? How many do you think you, what's the kind of the proportion that you do in person? Yeah, so it's it's mostly gone back to normal. I would say the investor conferences that we were doing, um, roadshows that we were doing, all of that has returned to in-person. The shift that I've noticed has been more from phone calls to videos. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe post-earnings calls where they were entirely calls. Um, now, I don't know, maybe... 40% of them are videos. Uh, so probably down a little bit from, from being half and half. Uh, but there are a lot more video calls, I feel, than there had been historically. Um, but all of the in-person stuff has come back. So I'll, I'll say um, in-person back and then some calls being replaced by videos. Coming out of a pandemic, all of these things that go on, I mean, you mentioned that you've been on maternity leave Often these things, people, you know, they reevaluate what they want from their career, uh, you know, how much they're willing to travel, those kinds of things. Did that, not specifically to you, but as a team, did you see shifts? Were there people that kind of wanted to travel less, people that wanted to travel more? How did that play out? It's a great question. And 
And having an eight month old, I'll admit that we're still very much figuring this out. And so I have a new member on my art, my IR team as of only about a year ago. So he came from our FPNA team, which was hugely helpful because he already knew the company. Um, he was very intimately familiar with our financials, but he didn't have he hadn't had the opportunity previously to work with investors to get out and travel to tell the story. He was sort of helping me create that narrative based on um, based on financials, um, but was missing that that more strategic piece. And so it was a very quick ramp for him to only have a few months and then have to fill in. Um, and so I think we're probably in a little bit of a unique spot, uh, just given that turnover uh, and, and that additional resource on the team. And so I'm lucky that he's very eager to travel I'm lucky that so far there haven't really been a ton of big trips. It's a little bit of the same maybe lessons that we were evaluating coming out of COVID. What do people really appreciate? And we did this on the guest side, on the ownership side, uh, as well as on the investor side. What do our constituencies really appreciate? And, and let's do that. And and maybe let's reevaluate all this time we spend on other things and not necessarily just not spend that time working. There are varying degrees of that, but but being more efficient with how we use our time and maybe repurposing some of that time. So um, certainly this upcoming year will be interesting because I'll definitely have some international trips to do. And so that'll be interesting uh, in terms of how, how I balance that with the kids. But I think that I was fortunate to have a strong team. I think it would be sort of silly, sort of arrogant to assume that like one person can do IR on their own. I am lucky that we have uh, the support of management, the support of a very collaborative team. Um, and I think from that regard, you have to be comfortable leaning in and out, depending on what's going on in your life and other people's lives. I wanted to ask you, I suppose, coming from your position and your multiple awards and all the experience that you have and, and your experience on the sales side. I mean, if you were going to offer one piece of IR advice, what would that be? I think probably get the basics right. I think there are all of these uh, sort of maybe additive or or tangential ways that you can make yourself stronger, make the team stronger. Um, but I think get the basics right. So simplify and streamline the narrative, even if you have a complicated company. Um, do your best to really streamline what you are trying to deliver. Make it easy for investors to understand and and be proactive, be accessible, and develop those relationships. And it winds up being helpful regardless of what you're trying to accomplish um, to have those relationships to better understand how folks are going to perceive things how they're going to think about things, what information is going to be helpful. Uh, it's funny, I think we learned that even on the guest side coming out of the pandemic, and it's something that I've taken and applied to IR as well. 
um, just get the basics right. Everything else on top of that can be helpful and can certainly be value add. But if you don't get the basics right, that's not going to be a recipe for success. So I know you said one, but that would be, I think, what I would say the main one is. And then on top of it, I think really value the uniqueness of the position and use that to your advantage. I mean, one of the things I like most about the role is the ability to collaborate not only across the street, but across all these various departments internally. And with the exception of executive, executive, executive management and really my bosses, with the exception of that, you have a very unique role in the company where you get to see everything not everyone has that. Um, it gives you an incredible perspective on what is going on with the company. It makes the job incredibly interesting. It allows you to you know, be thoughtful and, and be creative in what you share with investors. I mean, there are cool things, um, you know, weaving together a narrative. All of that is really interesting and, and really exciting, but it can be fluid. I think of all of the roles in the company, particularly in finance, it's not prescriptive. It's not as prescriptive as, as most of the jobs in finance. And I think that's an appeal, but use that to your advantage to add more value to the enterprise. Thank you very, very much. It has been a real pleasure having you on this episode of The Ticker. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. This has been fantastic. I really enjoyed the conversation. You've been listening to the latest episode of The Ticker Podcast, brought to you by IR Magazine. For our listeners, if you enjoyed the show, make sure you like and subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Until next time, thanks for listening.